Welcome to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture, where it's all about our energy needs in the future. In this third episode, we discuss energy flexibility. It is one of the main technical challenges in our ambitions for a sustainable world without fossil fuels. What exactly is energy flexibility and why is this such an important issue? How can we overcome the challenges and what has already been done to facilitate this part of the energy transition? My name is Maria Punch, and in our studio, at a safe distance from one another, I'd like to welcome Jan-Paul Dijkmans, Associate Director, Strategy and Partnerships at Tenet. Ruud Nijs, he is the founder of Giga Storage. They own the Rhino Battery, the most powerful battery project in the Netherlands. And Lonneke Tabak, Consultancy Manager, Energy Transition at Accenture. Every time you hit a switch, somewhere a power station's got to ramp up a little bit to, to serve that demand. That means that power stations across the country are constantly ramping up and down. From supply side, we're moving from a stable and controllable load towards more volatile and less predictable power generation sources. Renewable energy is cheap to generate when the sun is out or the wind is blowing, but it doesn't always produce energy when and where we need it. So, Lonneke, I'd like to start with you. I really can't remember a big power failure in the Netherlands that I'd have to wear three sweaters on top of each other because I was so cold. Can you fairly say that we're a bit spoiled in Holland? Well, definitely, you're right. The electricity grid in the Netherlands is very stable. We are used to a very reliable electricity supply. And we generally experience that as a right, I would say, as a given. Um, And people are, as you say, generally upset when a power outage disturbs everyday life. So I dug up some numbers. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, the average outage per connection for households and business consumers was only 20 minutes over the entire year. So that means that the uptime of the grid is over Mm -hmm. 99.99%, which is super reliable. Yeah. But I think as consumers, we also need to realize that next to this reliability, we also expect the grid to support a high degree of decentralization, the transition to clean power, and we want to be protected from threats like, for instance, hackers. So we're asking a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so 20 minutes can feel like a long time for a consumer. But if you see the bigger picture, it's really fairly tiny. Definitely. And it's spread out over the year. So it's not per se 20 minutes at one time. Sure. Now we see other countries where they have a lot more power failures. Um, Could you explain a little bit about the difference in the distribution system? Yeah, so reliability of electricity supply is very different per country. So first to give an example of another wealthy Western country, Mm -hmm. in Australia, um, the average outage per connection is 200 minutes per year. So that's still not that much. It's a little over three hours spread out over an entire year, but it's already 10 times as much as what we have here in the Netherlands. Uh, Fun fact, a bit of a sidestep, Mm -hmm. Uh, Tesla installed a 100 megawatt lithium-ion battery in Australia in 2017 to support the South region, which experienced a lot of blackouts then. And of course, there are also extreme examples. Like in Nepal, uh, power failures are part of everyday life. So in January, which is one of the worst months in terms of grid disturbances, power outages of six to eight hours per day are not uncommon. Wow, yeah. To have a bit of contrast in, yeah. the, in the picture. Yeah. So Ruth, you know, sure, as a consumer, I can get cranky if I can't charge my laptop. But if we think of companies or even think of hospitals where the dependability is just crucial, 
Uh, that's a totally different picture, right? Yes, it is indeed. I think uh, hospitals, uh, data centers, but all companies that are using either warmth or of cold will have problems by uh, if there's an, uh, an outage. Uh, now in the Netherlands, uh, we are uh, very blessed with a very stable network, and uh, I presume that the electricity distribution networks will continue delivering this stable stable uh, situation for the future as well. Mm. Now we're talking specifically about energy flexibility, and my impression is that it hasn't been very much uh, a hot issue yet in the Netherlands. Is that right? Well, that is correct. I think the fossil energy part um, is very stable uh, and the non-fossil part delivers a lot of uh, flexibility or volatility, if you want to say so, on the supplier side. So if you want to have the supplier side and the consumer side, uh, side connected to each other, mm. uh, you need to balance that out. And with the fossil energy like uh, uh, oil and gas and uh, nuclear power as well, that is very much predictive. And you can actually generate the energy whenever you need it. Mm -hmm. If you talk about non-fossil energy, uh, then you are relying on the sun and on the weather and on the climate. So that's different. And it's hard to put in an Excel sheet. It's hard to put it in an Excel sheet. It's happening and we're doing a lot of forecasting and predictions, but still the flexibility, the volatility is increasing a lot. Yeah. Now you are obviously in the business, but how do you think we could create more, let's say, awareness and bring this, this issue of flexibility more to the main agenda, so to speak? Well, I think at the end of the day, the consumers shouldn't be bothered by flexibility and shouldn't be bothered by this. I think it's, really? a, it's a game between the, uh, the distribution companies, mm -hmm. uh, the energy companies and new innovative companies that actually are uh, facilitating this energy transition. Jan-Paul, perhaps without becoming too technical, you could help us a bit by uh, explaining how um, the distribution of energy in our country works. Could you just sort of break that down for us? Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope you allow me uh, to keep it uh, relatively simple. Please do. Yes. So in principle, it is a play of, uh, of balancing uh, generation with uh, consumption. And then you, of course, have a robust uh, network uh, of tr that, uh, that is being delivered by transmission and distribution uh, companies uh, to connect the generation to the load. And around all of this, you see a play with all kinds of actors in the electricity system, such as energy suppliers, aggregators, but also storage facilities. Yeah, next to that, a tenant as a transmission system operator also has the task to balance uh, supply and demand at all times. So that's an mm -hmm. additional task. So obviously, uh, in this energy transition, we see big changes. Uh, basically, we started with a century-led system where generation followed exactly the demand of our consumers. What we now see is a decentralized system with decentralized renewable generation in our system. It's being produced locally and consumers are becoming prosumers. And uh, on it all, and that's a challenge in itself, uh, generation is becoming dependent on the weather. And that obviously has a big impact on how we have to run the, the system. Hmm. And when you say prosumer, what do you mean by that? Uh, yeah, prosumer is, is um, that also consumers are, are generating electricity. For mm -hmm. example, by uh, yeah, have so solar uh, panels on their uh, rooftop. Right, and they can right. also feed that back into the system. So they become a participant. Yeah, and yeah. that obviously leads to completely different power flows in our electricity systems. Yeah. So if we talk about um, flexibility, let's say 
you know, we we lean back a bit and we don't we just let it go or we continue on the path we are now. Uh, what sort of problems does that give us? Yeah, I think uh, earlier, uh, yeah, Lonneke described the, the very high reliability of our grid. Uh, but we, what we did not touch upon is that uh, obviously there's not always a supply of solar and wind. And that, that's basically one of the biggest challenges we need to deal with. So on the one side, on the short term, when we have an oversupply of wind and solar, we try to do as much as possible with it by having all the short-term flexibility sources, such as the giga battery we're talking about. But one of the main questions in the system, and that for me really touches the heart of security of supply, is what happens if there's no um, sun and there's no wind in the system. Mm -hmm. And we know from experience that there are periods that there are two weeks without solar, uh, without sun and wind. And then typically we need flexible production parks. Right. And that is really one of the, the biggest, biggest challenges that we have in the system. So that's at the system level, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you then look at, uh, at us as, uh, as uh, transmission or distribution companies, really the, the, the network sector, one of our biggest challenges is, of course, to get our, our grid at strength. So we need to uh, invest uh, a lot in connecting all the uh, renewable energy. So that's a huge challenge. Mm. Uh, we have longer lead times to build all of that. Yeah. Now, if we just look at the United States, for example, there have been some quite big problems in uh, California with um, a power outage. Um, I believe the grid operator shut down the power supply in order to prevent major blackouts. Um, is that a scenario that's, um, that we should take in consideration? Yes, we should take it into consideration. But at the same time, uh, the answer is no. It's, it's not likely that that is going to happen here in the short term. So we have sufficient uh, flexible uh, generation capacity in our systems and we are extremely interconnected with other countries uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, it, it's important to look in more detail what happened in California. So what, what we've, we've seen there that in, in this summer that they had a, a very high demand uh, because there was a, a heat wave in California and, uh, and they have quite a lot of uh, air conditioning in their systems. Right. Um, but what they forgot is that, uh, that, that, that they had sufficient flexible generation in their systems. So in the, in, 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 in the past years, you see that there was a significant focus on renewable generation, lots of solar in the system. Yeah. But uh, basically all their gas-fired units have been mothballed. So they simply did not have sufficient generation capacity available. Right. If you then draw the, the parallel to the Netherlands, then, uh, then I think our starting point is much better. But it's uh, at the same time, uh, we as a TSO always say uh, security of supply is never a given. This is something we need to, uh, to monitor very closely. And uh, in our last report, we concluded that the security of supply is sufficient. But we see that, that we have similar challenges coming in, in, the, uh, in, in, in basically the timescale of five to ten years ahead. Mm -hmm. So the, the biggest question that we need to answer is um, how will we have sufficient flexible generation capacity uh, available in ten years' time, mm -hmm. whilst at the same time we want to reduce basically our dependence on uh, gas uh, generation uh, units. 
Ruud, I think you would like to add? Yeah, I agree with Jean-Paul, but um, I just wanted to add that energy storage as a theme has different views. And mm -hmm. you have the short term, which you can really solve with, uh, with battery systems, but the Dunkelflaute, the two weeks where you will have no sun and no wind in the winter, can't right. be simply stored by energy storage like batteries. And you need to look for all kinds of different solutions and the whole mixture of that will guarantee our uh, electricity system. Yeah, yeah. Lonica, I saw you nodding. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I wanted talking. to add one point as well. We're talking about uh, renewables being one of the reasons why we need more flexibility in the system. And that is true. But at the same time, we also see a big electrification of demand, for instance, with electric vehicles and electrification of heat. And that combination will uh, quickly increase our need for flexibility in the energy system. Yeah, so the, 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 on the demand side, there is a, there is a growth, you, you're saying? Definitely, yeah. And we will experience bigger peak demands uh, with electric mobility and electrification of heat. So, Lonica, uh, we already agreed that I think in Europe and especially in the Netherlands, our position is, is fairly good. Um, if we look at countries like Denmark and Germany, uh, they have a lot more experience with sustainable energy and connect that to the distribution grid. Can we learn anything from these countries? Well, definitely. Both Denmark and Germany have a high share of renewables and they're experimenting with ways to make their system more flexible. But let's first take a small step back and look at uh, parties in the electricity value chain. So as Jean-Paul already mentioned, you start with generation and you have trading. Then you have transmission and distribution, which are often regulated, then retail and then presumption. And all parties in this value chain need flexibility for different purposes and in different quantities. And everyone is still experimenting and innovating on how to increase the flexibility that they need. And uh, you see that all market parties are uh, experimenting with multiple models. No one is putting their eggs into one basket yet. And the market is not mature, also not in Denmark and Germany. And what you see there, uh, even though Germany has one of the most diverse storage portfolios of all countries in the world, um, most of the spikes in imbalances are solved by their interconnector capacity. As Jean-Paul already mentioned, the interconnector capacity is the connection to other countries, and you can use that to import and export electricity. And as the Netherlands, we import a lot of electricity from Germany, for instance. But you can imagine that when neighboring countries are also going to increase their share of renewable energy, chances are high that weather condi conditions in neighboring countries are similar, so it becomes harder to solve your imbalance problems with importing and exporting. Right. So you will need a portfolio of different measures to solve the challenges that we will face. You're listening to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture about the future of energy. And in this episode, it's all about energy flexibility. My guests are Ruud Nijs, the founder of Giga Storage, Jan-Paul Dijkmans, Associate Director Strategy and Partnerships at Tenet, and Lonneke Tabak, Consultancy Manager Energy Transition at Accenture. Now, we've already discussed the issues of energy flexibility, what it means, and also what will happen if we don't find the right answers for this issue. Now it's time to talk a bit more about potential solutions. Now, Jan-Paul, um, what types of characteristics is Tenet looking for from sources of flexibility? 
Um, as Tenet, we distinguish between two types of uh, flexibility. First, uh, we use flexibility for balancing the system. And in general, I can say that all kinds of uh, decentralized flexibility products can be used for that. Secondly, uh, we distinguish for flexibility for managing grid congestions, meaning that uh, we use flexibility in case we have insufficient transmission capacity in our grids. Um, for this purpose, we have a system of uh, congestion management in place, and we, for example, can use, uh, for example, uh, batteries in combination with solar get uh, generation to reduce congestions in the grid. Right. Um, so, Lonica, um, what you hear a lot is, let's reinforce the grid, <laughs> as if that's a holy grail. Um, what is your opinion? Well, reinforcing the grid is definitely a good idea. It will help to incorporate more renewables into the grid. But as Jan-Paul just said, that will help to solve grid congestion problems where you mm -hmm. don't have enough line capacity available to transport electricity from the source of generation to the point of demand. But it won't help you solve the balancing issues. So let's, for instance, say it's four o'clock at night and there's lots of wind energy available, but there is no demand. If you reinforce the grid, you will have sufficient line capacity to bring that electricity from the source of generation, but there will be no demand for it. Right. And at the same time, at six o'clock in the afternoon, when there's lots of demand, but it's wind still, well, reinforcing the grid won't help you. So you will need other flexibility measures to solve that issue. And if you think of like the, the battery, we will talk to Ruth uh, a little bit f further on, but um, is that uh, one of the solutions to, to really think about more? Well, definitely storage is very interesting because it can both supply and demand electricity. So at moments where you have lots of supply but very little demand, you can consume electricity. And the other way around, when there's lots of demand but no supply, you can supply electricity. So at the moment, uh, hydro power is the most conventional way of storing electricity worldwide. But electrochemical ways of storing electricity, like the lithium-ion batteries from Giga Storage, are growing. Mm -hmm. And they're very interesting because they can respond very quickly, within seconds, and usually supply electricity for, well, up to an hour. Good will for sure tell more about that later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So and they can provide a wide range of grid services. Yeah. And is that still very expensive? Because it sounds like we have the technology, but but it's only been used in just a few places? Or Well, actually, I think the um, what is very important is that we always have a mix between, I call it copper in the ground, so more cables, yeah. and at the same time having energy storage projects on strategic places in the network. And that covers the two topics Jan-Paul already introduced. Uh, you need to have a mixture between a good network and strategic places where you put in energy storages. Right. So you are uh, the owner of the, the Rhino battery, the project, the, the Giga storage. Um, could you, could you uh, paint us a picture of, of what that project does? Yes, um, we are at the, in Lelystad at the test center of the renewable energy from the Wageningen Universiteit and Research. Um, there is a special smart grid there, which is um, called WindNet, which is 100% subsidiary of Engie. And in this smart grid, there are several renewable assets connected to the grid. And we are putting a 12 megawatt energy storage facility to that grid to balance out all the other sources there. And right. the idea of the test center is that they will add more and more renewable assets. And they are using new technologies such as thermal dynamic line rating and cable pooling uh, to <laughs> it. Um, but what is important is that there are much more 
assets there than the connection can handle in certain quarters per day. Um, and uh, on the other hand, um, the balance, the energy prices can be too low and lower than the production costs of windmills. Hmm. So what's happening is that windmills are actually turned off. They call it curtailment right. uh, uh, because uh, it's not efficient to put them on. And what we will do is ask them to keep the windmills on and give the energy to us right. so that we can store it and uh, sell it out later when the prices are good again. Um, so, Ruth, that was quite a bit of technical information. But could you explain what the battery looks like? Does it look like a rhino? Yeah, well, no, it, actually <laughs> the, the project is named Rhino because we are connecting to the Neushorntocht Wind Park. Right. That's the reason why it's called Rhino. But uh, you have to see, uh, imagine that there are two uh, American containers filled up with little batteries, with literal lithium-ion sacks. Uh, and there are two big containers there right now. Um, and uh, you just can imagine that this energy we can store is more or less comparable for the energy uses of 5,000 households for a full year. So just to give you an idea about how much energy we can store just in 40 minutes, because yeah. we can in 40 minutes we can charge and we can discharge. So 5,000 households doing washing, using the microwave, charging Correct. their laptop, etc., etc. Yeah. Okay. And that is actually quite unique in the Netherlands, right? Yeah, at this moment we are the largest um, battery project in the Netherlands. Uh, we are about to launch a second project, which will be the double of the size, mm -hmm. 24 megawatts. Uh, and we are sure that more projects will follow if stumbling blocks, which we will discuss, will be solved later on. Right, right. So um, here you have this space in Lelystad, but do we think of like batteries turning up at more places uh, in the Netherlands? I'm going to have one in, in my backyard eventually. I think at the end of the day, the energy production will be more and more local, as Jean-Paul already said in his mm -hmm. introduction. So we need to find out where are the congestion problems in the network. And that will be the problems to put in energy storage next to look into your cabling as well. Um, because of that, we can actually deliver local services by uh, solving those congestion problems. And at the same time, use the batteries in the energy markets to stable the full network. Right, right. Um, some experts say that there is a big problem with the availability of raw materials in the nearby future. Yeah. Well, I think at the end of the day, cables will have copper in it. So <laughs> even the fossil or the, the old-fashioned solution will have a scarce resources issue as well. But it's absolutely true that the new energy storage project will use scarce natural resources. And the good news is that the technical universities and a lot of innovative companies in the Netherlands are continuously looking for new solutions. And what I believe is that there will be a lot of inno innovation mm -hmm. where energy storage will be much more efficient than it is today yeah. and where there will be much less scarce resources used into those storage projects. Right. Now we also need to talk about the costs, right? There is an issue there. There is an issue, um, well, let's put it in this way. I think that at the end of the day, the energy law is always lacking behind innovation. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But the energy storage is not categorized at the, in the law at this moment. And we are put into the uh, basket of energy uh, consumers. And in the Netherlands, the cost of the network is paid by the energy consumers. So if we take energy from the net in order to stabilize the network, by the way, so we deliver service, yeah. we have to pay transportation costs. And then later on, we deliver it back to the network. And then the energy is being sold to somebody else who has to pay transportation costs as well. Mm -hmm. So there are 
there is a way of a double transportation cost in the network. Um, the issue is solved already in our neighboring countries, like in Germany and Belgium. So we feel we are not in a level playing field in Europe by energy projects. Mm -hmm. So does that mean you guys drink coffee in The Hague a lot? Are you lobbying? Are you talking to people? Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, I would certainly support uh, uh, Ruud in his uh, in his statement um, that we should reconsider uh, indeed taxing uh, stores different uh, differently from consumption. So for us, the key is to prevent that uh, that grid tariffs and taxation do really pose uh, barriers to these new kind of uh, flex uh, flex technologies, and that plays a role for uh, for batteries, but also uh, for uh, peaky flexible demand. This can play a significant role. So uh, we need to take uh, take that away. And there are good examples that we can learn from worldwide. For instance, in California, they have an NGR market, a non-generation resources market, specifically to incorporate batteries in the in the energy trading system. And in the UK and Denmark, they are experimenting with paying not only for responding to grid disturbances, but also for the speed with which you respond, which favors batteries because they can respond very quickly. Yeah. yeah, now the good news is that there will be a new energy law in the Netherlands as from the 1st of January next year. We never know what will happen in politics, but mm -hmm. this could be a nice moment to change this. Some people say, you know, we're not going to make that January. But I mean, are you hopeful that this will be taken into account in the new energy law in Holland? Yes, we are very hopeful mm. because we believe that everybody understands that this needs to be changed. And uh, what you will see in, in our neighboring countries are much more energy storage projects. Uh, and this one is pretty unique because it's the only energy storage project which is not linked to an energy company. So it's financed arm's length. Right. Uh, the second battery we can still... Um, uh, manage, but if we really want to grow in storage capacity, and that's really needed, mm -hmm. then this needs to be changed. Yeah, could that be the game changer? I mean, the, there are obviously all these pieces in the puzzle that bring this flexibility forward. Could that be a game changer, Lonica? Do you think? Well, definitely, regulation plays a big role, and as I said, there's lots we can learn from other countries. But as you mentioned as well, everyone needs to play their part. Right. Um, now we've also talked about innovation, uh, and we've had. We've heard several examples. Um, Lonica, are there sources that we haven't talked about uh, in terms of flexibility? Yeah, there are loads of examples of flexibility in storage. We already uh, briefly touched upon this. So let's assume we have a summer with lots and lots of solar generation and then an autumn with lots and lots of wind, which is not an unlikely scenario <laughs> in the Netherlands. Yeah, right. And then let's say the weather conditions in the winter and spring are not so favorable for renewable generation. Then you need to store large amounts of energy for longer periods of time to uh, store that surplus energy in summer and autumn to be able to use that in winter and spring. And the electrochemical storage uh, facilities like the lithium-ion batteries from Giga Storage, they are good on the short and midterm. But here, for instance, hydrogen could play a role. Hydrogen is very suitable to store large amounts of energy for long periods of time. You can mm -hmm. store it in, for instance, salt caverns or depleted gas fields. And we're talking about order of magnitudes of gigawatts versus megawatts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say that even uh, on the base load energy, we can actually change from fossil to non-fossil. Like uh, deep sea tidal power energy, for instance, is a predictive way of energy, which is very, very good compared to uh, to gas and coal. Mm. Sure, and that happens already in, in Holland There's and Germany as well. There's a lot of technology, well. um, a lot of technology in tidal power worldwide. 
And that could be very, very well um, used into the North Sea and probably even in rivers. And to add to that, I think we need to realize that the measures in terms of flexibility that we need to take to go from, let's say, zero to 50 percent of renewable generation are different than the measures that we need to take to go from 50 to 100. Because in that first phase, we will still have the stability, reliability and flexibility of the conventional power plants. Mm -hmm. But we will go to a future of 100% renewable generation. So we need to start innovating and implementing uh, new sources of flexibility and stability now to be able to implement those when we need them in the second phase, where we will phase out the conventional power plants. Now, we didn't talk so much about the consumer a little bit. I think, Ruud, at the beginning you said, you know, let's not bother the consumer. But is there something that we all can do to contribute? Lonneke? Yeah, I can give an example. Um, probably many people will be familiar with the term demand response. That means that you can flexibly use your demand assets uh, to help in gri solving grid fluctuations. And that sounds very fluffy. Mm -hmm. So to give an example, if I own an electric vehicle, I can plug it into the grid and I can immediately start charging a maximum power. But I can also start charging at a little bit lower power and then increase the charging power when there is lots of supply but little demands. And right. the other way around, I can decrease the charging power when there is lots of demands but very little supply. So in that way, consumers can help. But as you can imagine, it's unlikely that every consumer will participate in the flexibility market by themselves. No. So that gives way to a new role in the market called the aggregator, who will aggregate all these small units and bid it as one unit to, for instance, the transmission system operator. Mm -hmm. Is that, Jan-Paul, uh, already something that you know is top of mind at Tenet? Yeah, yeah we, we have already um, uh, run uh, pilots in that, uh, that respect. Um, we have, uh, we have worked, uh, for example, with Van der Bron and Scholt uh, in, in, in that direction. Whereas, uh, whereas indeed electric cars can deliver those services uh, to balancing the system and, and we pay a price for that. Mm -hmm. So what, what we are now looking for, of course, that, that's only at small scale. It's, it's really still at small numbers. But we really uh, recently uh, launched a corporation we called uh, Equigy, where we want, want, really want to connect on, at a European level that all the electric cars in the system uh, can deliver those services to us. And, and in 2030, we are already talking about 3 million electric cars according to our climate agreement plans in the Netherlands. Right. So then you see that, that, that uh, the big numbers are coming. Jan-Paul, given all the challenges, can we just continue connecting new loads to the grid? Yes, we, yes, we need to co continue connecting a new load to the grid. We also need to uh, step up in the electrification of demand. That's something we uh, see uh, developing at too slow a pace. As a, as a grid operator, we also need to look uh, for alternatives uh, for grid investments, such as contracting flexibility uh, for congestion management, uh, like, like the batteries. And we need to think uh, to consider uh, locational signals, really to make uh, the system smarter and more economically efficient. And ultimately, we need uh, not to forget uh, that we have sufficient uh, flexible uh, generation in case there's no sun and wind. Right. Um, Ruud, what is up next for Giga Storage? Yeah, we at Giga Storage are ready to provide the power grid with a number of energy storage projects. And uh, the second one is around the corner. Uh, but as I said, we really need to have a new energy law in place to do so. Right. And I think in November, very soon from now, you're going to have like a official opening, right? Correct. Yeah, that's true. Good yeah. luck with that. Thank you. Um, Lonica, to conclude with you, um, uh, what do you see as a role for Accenture in this whole flexibility discussion? 
Well, we believe that flexibility should be treated as a system challenge. As I mentioned, there are many different parties in the value chain that need to play their part. Um, and also different value chains need to start working together, for instance, electricity and gas. Accenture has extensive experience in all the parts of that value chain, and we're building up our work specifically in flexibility. So to give you two examples, we contributed to the functional design of a flexibility platform to help solve congestion issues. And we helped another customer to identify those areas of the grid that are likely to become congested in the near future. So now you have a better understanding of what energy flexibility means and which innovations can help to solve the technical issues. A very big thank you to my guests for sharing your expertise and your perspective. Jan-Paul Dijkmans, Ruud Nijs and Lonneke Tabak. And thank you for listening and please join us for the next episode of Transition Talk.